239. 239 is the most impressive number in the history of the NFL. 239 are the number of games Jason Witten played in a 15-game career. Do the math. Not counting playoff games because he didn't play in very many playoff games. Jason Witten missed one game. One October Sunday during his rookie year. After 2003, at a time before they were even tracking targets... Jason Witten never missed a regular season game. How is that possible? I don't know. It's impossible. He did the impossible because the tight end position is the most dangerous position in sports. Think about it. On run plays, what are tight ends responsible for? Blocking NFL edge rushers. The NFL tight end is in a state of perpetual violence. It's just one violent collision after another from run play to pass play, pass play to run play. It's not like the wide receiver position where they can take plays off pretending to block cornerbacks. No, the tight end is relied upon each and every snap to do their job or someone gets hurt. The problem is inevitably the tight end themselves gets hurt. Just ask Rob Gronkowski. Scroll down on the Rob Gronkowski player page. There you will find his medical history report. This is Gronk. This is a human centaur playing the tight end position in the NFL. He is a mythological creature with a thigh contusion, herniated disc, lung puncture, pectoral strain, hamstring strain, knee strain, ACL and MCL tear, hamstring strain, another herniated disc, fractured forearm, and a hip strain. <laughs> right? What? Yeah. And that's just Rob Gronkowski. And then what happened in week one of 2018? Delaney Walker almost lost a foot. A gruesome foot fracture slash ankle dislocation. Gruesome. I remember the first gruesome injury I witnessed. It was Delino DeShields, former Expos second baseman, breaking his leg rounding first. Just a random freak occurrence. He broke his leg and dislocated his ankle. And I've turned away from the television whenever a player has been injured since. And that's what happened to Delaney Walker in week one. The same week that Greg Olson was lost for an extended period with a serious foot injury. It's either a fracture or a strain or a sprain. It's something bad. He's going to be out for a long time. Olsen and Walker were two of the first five tight ends drafted in fantasy football leagues. They're already out likely for the season. This is why we don't invest in tight ends unless they offer the most possible upside, the 20 touchdown upside that Rob Gronkowski offers. A competitive advantage at the tight end position that is simply too good to pass up at the end of the second round and the third round. And if you can't get Rob Gronkowski because the tight end position is savaged by injuries each and every season, you just wait. That was the recommendation. You wait until Jack Doyle. And then Jack Doyle goes out this week and secures 10 targets. Why? Because that's what the Colts do. They target the tight end. And Andrew Luck's favorite player is Jack Doyle. So you shouldn't be surprised that even in a game where Eric Ebron scores over 15 fantasy points, that Jack Doyle also scores over 10 fantasy points. Ebron gets the touchdown. Doyle gets the targets. 
expect more of the same. 12 personnel in Indianapolis. And we can't be surprised when Ryan Grant leads the Colts in targets. I mean, I hate it. But throws to Ryan Grant are a much lower risk than targets to T.Y. Hilton. The probability of completing passes to Ryan Grant is much higher because he operates closer to the line of scrimmage. So you can't blame Andrew Luck for leveraging the possession receiver skills of Ryan Grant. Ryan Grant was a value, especially in best ball leagues. We talked to Mike Beers about this. I was in a Draftmaster best ball league with Mike Beers. And in the same round, I took Chester Rogers. He took Ryan Grant because he projected Ryan Grant to win that number two wide receiver job. I love Chester Rogers irrationally because he sounds like an accountant for the Bank of England in 1885. But in a Draftmaster scenario where you cannot add players throughout the season, you just secure those targets late in drafts. Ryan Grant was the play. And at tight end, if you couldn't get Gronk, Jack Doyle was the guy. Jack Doyle dominated Trey Burton in week one. And it makes sense. Jack Doyle was number two in the NFL among tight ends in target share last season. And that's the tight end. So many fantasy gamers expected Trey Burton to outproduce. I asked every analyst that came on here, Trey Burton or Jack Doyle? And they laughed at the mere premise it's such a ridiculous question. Of course, the answer is Trey Burton. Not so fast. And the reason why you wait on tight end, as J.J. Zacharyson instructed, either get Gronk or just don't draft a tight end. Because now after week one, you have two incredible free square tight end options on the waiver wire. One is Jonu Smith. Now he's not available in Dynasty because I have all the Jonu Smith in Dynasty. Jonu Smith was discount David Njoku for years because he also played in Southern Florida at Florida International with a similar burst score, 130.0, 94th percentile to David Njoku. Jonu Smith, because he played at Florida International, was even more dominant, 33% dominator rating. Jonu Smith was the focal point of the offense in college and boasted a 127.0, 92nd percentile Spark X score, Nike's composite athleticism metric. We respect Delaney Walker. He is a gladiator. He is one of the NFL's signature warriors at the position. But if not Delaney Walker, then we love Jonu Smith's upside. Jonu Smith in that Titans offense, which featured Tajay Sharp as their number two receiver. Tajay Sharp finished number two in snaps on the Tennessee Titans. I mean, that is an embarrassment. If the Titans are not going to play Taewon Taylor, the receiving options behind Corey Davis are weak, with the exception of, of course, Deion Lewis when he's in the game, and Jonu Smith. So I think Jonu Smith will command a Delaney Walker-like target share. And with this athletic profile, he's a must-add for anyone that needs a tight end in fantasy football. And if you can't get Jonu Smith, you got to target Ian Thomas. Now, I know what you're going to say, well, Ian Thomas, he's a rookie tight end. You never invested rookie tight ends. Well, how did that go fading Evan Ingram last year? And if anyone is this year's Evan Ingram, it's Ian Thomas. Because what happened to Evan Ingram last year? He was thrust into a primary receiver role for the Giants when Odell Beckham Jr. was lost for the season. Well, the Panthers' number one receiver has been Greg Olson. And he was lost, potentially for the season, in steps Ian Thomas. And he looks a lot like a pumped-up Evan Ingram. He's not as fast. He only runs a 4.74, but the 124.5 burst score along with the 11.35 agility score are Evan Ingram-esque. Similar dominator rating, similar yards per reception at a major conference. We're going to look back 
and chuckle at the notion that Hayden Hurst, Hayden Hurst of all players was the first tight end drafted in this class. And that Mark Andrews, move tight end Mark Andrews, was actually selected before Ian Thomas, who has incredible size-adjusted athleticism paired with an impressive college resume. We talked to Josh Norris about Ian Thomas. He said that many teams were calling the Carolina Panthers Friday night and into Saturday morning hoping to acquire the 401, and the Carolina Panthers just hung up the phone because they had their guy they knew they needed, Ian Thomas. Because it's possible Greg Olson has played his last snap in the NFL. Would anyone be surprised if Greg Olson retired tomorrow? He signed a two-year contract, but the expectation was one more year, and then he's going to the booth. So it's go time for Ian Thomas. I believe he will be the outlier from this class, the one tight end drafted in 2018 that produced as a rookie. We'll ask our guest today, my good friend Real Talk Raph, about Ian Thomas and Jonu Smith. But before we talk to Raph, you need to know about my bookie. Go to a player profile or player page. Go to Jonu Smith. Go to Ian Thomas, and you'll see a new option. Just for Roto Underworld Radio listeners and player profiler visitors, player props on my bookie. You can see Ian Thomas's player props. Spoiler alert, I'm taking the over on the Ian Thomas player props in week two on my bookie. And the reason my bookie is sponsoring this show is supporting playerprofiler.com is because it's one of the few gambling services that is fully fantasy friendly. And what does it mean to be a fantasy friendly gambling site? Well, first of all, all fantasy football contests are forms of gambling. You are wagering a dollar amount on an uncertain outcome. Therefore, you are gambling when you play fantasy football for money. And my bookie is catering to the sensibilities of fantasy gamers with in-game live betting on fantasy points scored over unders. You don't need to submit a whole lineup on DraftKings to enjoy weekly action. At MyBookie, you can place wagers on individual player performances. Finally, there is now officially nothing that you cannot place a bet on. So just go to any player page, look on the right, and click on the link to submit a prop on any player. Now let's go talk to my man Raph. Follow him at Real Talk Raph on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Perhaps my favorite person in the business. His name is Raphael Rabe, also known as Roto Ballers Real Talk Raph. Talk to me. Ooh, the intros, the beautiful intros. That's funny because you're possibly my absolute favorite person to have on the Roto Baller Radio Program on Sirius XM. And quite frankly, if there's a week that goes by, I see tweets. Where is Mansion? Oh, really? I renewed, I renewed my subscription to hear Rotoballer Radio and Mansion. So, hey, now. Wait, that that was a real tweet? I swear I got one of those from you, and and the, the, the guy didn't even say at, like, your handle. He just called you Mansion. So you're doing a good job with the branding on the Twitter as well. Get out. No, he did not mention me, so I did not know that there was a yearning. Always. In the SiriusXM audience for yes. more mansion that makes me very happy and yeah i talk to you like every week man i talk to you more than anyone else and because you have been a jets fan for so long i've not become a jets fan but i would call myself a jets enthusiast like the cleveland browns there's a handful of these teams that i just want the best for that i appreciate the enthusiasm of the fan base i appreciate the pain 
that members of that fan base like yourself have gone through, and I think that you deserve winning seasons. You deserve some joy in your football life. And you were the first person I thought of when I opened this Jets-Lions box score, and I see the score was 48-17 Jets over the Lions. The most surprising game of the week is where we start. Jets-Lions. As a Jets fan, how excited are you about Quincy Anunwa? All right, let me back off the mic so I don't overmodulate here. Hold on, hold on. Okay. Oh, my God. I could barely sleep last night as I was feverishly searching through Twitter for the last time you mentioned me in the clip from the playerprofiler.com preseason draft kit where you basically led me to water knowing I would do it and the super tout of what could happen if Quincy Anunua was healthy and on the field. The super tout. It occurred. Yes. Boom, shakalaka. Yes. Yes. I did a keyword search, Roto Underworld Radio and Quincy Anunwa, yeah. and found seven super tout videos. Yes. We've been touting Quincy Anunwa since 2016. Yes. He is the true number one receiver in this passing game. He hurt his neck last season. Thankfully, he's healthy. And when Quincy Anunwa is healthy, he's the number one receiver in this passing game. It's not close. He has the best all-around skill set. Robbie Anderson's a field stretcher. Jermaine Curse is a possession receiver. Terrell Pryor's never going to happen. It's the Quincy Anunwa show in New York. This is a passing game that's devoid of tight end talent. And while they have a satellite back that commands targets in Bilal Powell, it is a relatively consolidated target share. And you saw it last night where Quincy Anunwa commanded 50% of the targets. I mean, I'm not making that up. He had the highest target share of any wide receiver in the NFL in week one. 10 out of his team's 21 targets were directed at Quincy. It's so beautiful. I actually, and I said this to you in the pre-show, Robbie Anderson is Quincy Nunua's best friend this year because he's going to stretch the field. He's going to allow him to operate and often will draw the number one cornerback coverage. And he still is good enough to have fantasy value, but he's going to be Deshaun Jackson in his prime. Well, not in his prime. He's going to be like the last two years of Deshaun Jackson, a little boom bust. He won't be the primary target getter if Anunua is there. Also, eventually, Jermaine Curse will come back, and I think <clears throat> that just forces Anunua even further into the middle of the field. Are you okay, by the way? Do you need a handkerchief or something? You need a lozenge? What's happening? The iced coffee gets me a little scratchy. Does that ever happen to you? It kind of just sits back in like the tonsil area. If- I was worried you had Anunua's penis caught in your throat. Hey now, hey now. <laughs> oh, I, I, this is going to sound horrible, but I mean, if you give me 80 catches this year, I'll do things to Anunua. Oh boy, no, Raph, come on. Yes, yes, I'll do things. This is a family-friendly program. Not when I'm on. What's not family-friendly, Quincy Anunua's speed score. We don't have other workout metrics for Quincy Anunua, but 116.3, 96th percentile speed score. When you run a 4.45 at 225 pounds, you're a hell of an athlete. And even when Jermaine Curse comes back, he's not going to supplant Quincy Anunua in this starting flanker role. Quincy Anunua is going to be the target leader, if healthy, at the end of the season. And I'm excited for this whole team. I'm excited for Anunua. I'm also excited for the running game. Isaiah Crowell, two touchdowns, splash plays all over the place. Is Isaiah Crowell just going to smash all year? 
So to me, this was a function of game flow and a little bit of fluke, but I like his juice. I saw an explosive runner yesterday and I liked it. So at the very least, Isaiah Crowell is going to be good bench depth in 12-team PPR leagues. I think he gets a boost in standard leagues because as we saw yesterday, no targets. That's Bilal Powell's role strictly. Yeah, he could catch a couple, but they're not going to use him that way. So when the Jets are ahead, God forbid, if that ever happens, he's going to grind. When they're near the goal line, he's going to get the touches. At the very least, I think he's like an RB3 this year in PPR leagues. And I think Bilal Powell stays in the flex play conversation as well. But again, more bench depth right now. If one of those two guys gets injured, I think it's wheels up for the other one. You needed to draft Isaiah Crowell when available in the eighth round because that's what happened. He was being drafted in the seventh round throughout the summer, got a concussion in preseason, then started to fall into the eighth round. There are very few workhorse backs available in the eighth round of a fantasy draft. The only reason he was not being drafted earlier is because he's a Jet. And the perception was that the Jets would be losing most of the time. Therefore, Bilal Powell would likely score more fantasy points this year because of game script. Well, then week one starts and we realize, oh, wait, uh oh, our assumptions about the Jets offense were wrong. Our assumptions about Sam Darnold were wrong. And because of that, it's wheels up for Isaiah Crowell. This is why we go zero RB and draft the least expensive workhorse on the board. And this year it was Isaiah Crowell. And we were drafting Isaiah Crowell over and over and over and over again. It was Marshawn Lynch and Isaiah Crowell, the two least expensive workhorses on the board. And all they needed was increased overall team efficiency on offense in order to exceed their ADP expectations. And I think we're seeing that with both Marshawn Lynch and Isaiah Crowell this year. And in the case of Crowell, you can thank Sam Darnold. The underrated aspect of projecting running backs is quarterback play. Because if the quarterback is efficient and is productive, then there's more opportunity, especially red zone opportunities, for those workhorse backs. doesn't matter if he's not catching passes. If Sam Darnold's matriculating the ball down the field, then Isaiah Crowell is going to score touchdowns. Sam Darnold is special, right? Very poised, very smart kid. I like that. I'm, please, guys, take this for what it's worth. I love the fact that Sam Darnold is not that handsome. I love the fact that he's just a good old country-feeling boy who plays football, and he does it with his head down, and he wants to win. He looks like a Lego fireman. He kind of does. He kind of looks like Wolverine, too, if you look carefully. So, and by the way, I didn't make that comp up. Uh, one of my friends, actually, my brother, Uncle Leo, said that to me yesterday. I said, you know, it kind of does look a little like Wolverine. Here's the thing. This kid is not the sexier of all the quarterbacks that came out, but he's very likely going to have the opportunity sooner than anyone. We're seeing it now. So why shouldn't we like Sam Darnold? I don't think he's going to have quite the Baker Mayfield upside. I do really think Baker Mayfield's extra special. But Sam Darnold could be in this league for 15 years. And quite frankly, we could have another Eli Manning on our hands here, maybe a little better if we talk about maybe not throwing as many interceptions over the course of his career. If that's what we get as Jets fans, we're damn ecstatic, Mr. Manchin. He's the youngest starter in the history of the NFL. And if in your first start as the youngest starter at quarterback in the NFL, you post 200 yards and two touchdowns and one interception with 9.4 yards per attempt, an 82.9 QBR, a 116.8 quarterback rating, then guess what? Your future is bright. 
It's unprecedented. Congratulations, ref. You have an unprecedented young quarterback taking snaps for the New York Jets. Like Your future is secure. Now you need to do what the LA Rams did, and that's spend as much money as possible to ramp up the talent around Sam Darnold on both sides of the football and make your Super Bowl run in the next three years before he commands that mega contract. Yep, that's how you get away with it in the league. That's how the Bears were able to sign an enormous defensive talent here because they know Trubisky's still under control. A lot of teams are are getting with this, and it's kind of like, uh, you know, I hate to bring up baseball here, but their younger guys are coming up earlier. They're under team control, and they're ready to play. There's no reason not to do it. When you invest early first-round draft capital on any player in the NFL, I don't care at what position, offensive lineman, defensive lineman, quarterback, running back, you play the guy. You play the guy and and I was going to ask you in the pre-show I didn't get to it over under week eight for Baker Mayfield regardless of a Terod Taylor injury like I just don't think they're going to be able to hold that kid back forever I think that's about right I think week eight is a good week number to peg the over under to on Baker Mayfield if you're a Jets fan you need to be hoping and praying that this team goes on an epic shopping spree in both the free agent market and the trade market this offseason. You got to do it. Just go nuts. Get everybody and go win a Super Bowl in 2019. They drafted good pieces over the last couple of years, almost dark horses in the defensive area, and I think they've shorted up with a defensive-minded head coach who, by the way, in a bad season that they overperformed last year, got a contract extension quietly. So don't get it twisted. With a new offensive coordinator, a pretty solid defense which showed up in the preseason, they took their show on the road with the youngest quarterback in NFL history to start and made us very proud as Jets fans. So I don't want to get too carried away here, but Quincy Anunua owner should be happy. Sam Darnold, Dynasty League owner, should be happy. Uh, you know, anyone who basically invested in Isaiah Crowell, ecstatic. There are things to like here with the Jets, and quite frankly, they weren't a boring football game to watch like we saw a lot of this past week, and that's another thing that's great. When you actually get to enjoy your home team, Matt Kelly, it's a good thing. And Trey Burton needs to pay attention to what Neil Sterling is doing in New York. Neil Sterling added 25 pounds to his frame over the last two seasons. He came into the league as a converted wide receiver, a move tight end. He now weighs 257 pounds, and he's now playing in all game situations. Look at that catch radius. 1017, 79th percentile catch radius with an 1132, 80th percentile agility score. We love the low agility scores from our tight ends that gives them the ability to move laterally in traffic over the middle of the field and I love the three targets for Neil Sterling because this was the most ambiguous tight end depth chart in the league who would rise up and become the number one tight end would it be Jordan Leggett no it's actually Neil Sterling now when you look to see what was happening in that Buck Saints game because inevitably you played Saints in DFS what emotions ran through you watching Ryan Fitzpatrick just slay, just be the slate winner this week? Sometimes I could get a little crabby if, if a, something I touted doesn't go my way. But because this tout was totally off my radar in terms of Ryan Fitzpatrick this week, I didn't even mention his name one time the entire preseason. No. No, just everyone just dismissed him, even against the Saints, because the assumption was the Saints' defense would be one of the league's top 10 defenses, and therefore Ryan Fitzpatrick wasn't a play, 
even in GPPs this week. He made someone a million dollars. He's making people millions of dollars. Quite frankly, I enjoyed every bit of it. I had Mike Evans in the second round in several leagues. I, I have shares of Godwin in about three leagues, including a dynasty league. Um, I just felt good about certain values and certain offenses, regardless of who was attached to them. You know, I'm not a Jameis Winston guy. I just didn't care. I said independently of this. But Ryan Fitzpatrick gave you some feel-good moments in New York. He did. Did you feel good for him resurrecting his career in Tampa? That game was a tour de force performance. I, that I, You don't see things like that in the NFL. I mean, Boomer Esiason had a couple of those super late, like 500-yard passing games. That's it. That was the, you know, flagship Ryan Fitzpatrick career game. He went out there, zero fucks given, and chucked the ball around and shat all over the Saints. And I know this is a family-friendly show, but that's how it went down. This is not a family-friendly show, and Ryan Fitzpatrick had his career game. He'll always have this game. He can wake up in the morning for the rest of his life thinking about 417 yards passing, four touchdowns, (laughs) No interceptions. And a rushing touchdown. And the interesting thing is the offensive line only allowed one hurry. And Jameis Winston will be back. And it was a reminder to all fantasy gamers that quarterback doesn't matter. Quarterback doesn't matter. (laughs) In real life, running back doesn't matter. Look at what James Conner was able to do in Pittsburgh. Le'Veon Bell only has a handful of games in his career that were as productive as what James Conner did against a stout run defense in Cleveland. Running back doesn't matter in the NFL. And in fantasy football, quarterback doesn't matter. For the same reasons we're all playing Andy Dalton in DFS, we should have been playing Ryan Fitzpatrick going to New Orleans. Because it just doesn't matter. When you're playing quarterbacks, especially in DFS, there's two questions. What's the over-under on the game, and how good is that quarterback supporting cast? Don't worry about the brand equity tied to that quarterback. Don't worry about his reputation around the league. It doesn't matter. What matters is Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin, OJ Howard, in what was supposed to be the second highest scoring game on the slate. That's what mattered. And that's why Ryan Fitzpatrick was the play, and that's why he won some one a million dollars. Kudos to that. I'm not a hater at all. I aspire to be that game theory savvy on a Sunday morning after you know my five millionaire maker lineups that I just entered burners for and then went to refine on Sunday morning that I would have the savvy to do it. I had an Eli Manning. I mean, I'm done. I'm done playing good quarterbacks in GPPs. I'm never going to do it again. You can't win. I mean, this is it. I've had enough. This is it. Quarterback does not matter. But it does matter if you're a wide receiver playing football in the NFL. It matters who's throwing you the passes. It certainly matters to Corey Coleman that his quarterback is no longer Terod Taylor. It's no longer Josh Allen. It's now Tom Brady. As a Jets fan, do you believe Corey Coleman will be a thing in New England? This is the problem. I always liked Corey Coleman's athleticism. I I call them poor man's OBJ in terms of that, you know, but like... (laughs) But then he's been just passed around the league, and quite frankly, 
guys like that often intrigue me because we've seen this before. And then you start wondering, you know, how is the attitude? Why do coaches not like it? What, what details is he missing? Well, here's the difference between Corey Coleman and Amartavis Bryant, for example. These two wide receivers have high knucklehead factors. No one would dispute that Corey Coleman is a knucklehead. Just like no one would dispute that Martavis Bryant is a knucklehead. But Martavis Bryant flamed out on Pittsburgh. This is a coaching staff I trust. I trust Mike Tomlin to give his players the benefit of the doubt and ensure that he's doing everything that he can to prepare them to practice well and play well in games. I don't trust Hugh Jackson. I don't trust Sean McDermott in Buffalo. So until one of these players gets a chance to play with a coach that I trust to get them prepared, I will give them chances. Corey Coleman deserves to play with a coach who can put him in a position to succeed. So last year, Bill Belichick rehabilitated someone, kind of redshirted him, and we saw him unlocked in week one. You know who that is. Oh, it was Philip Dorsett. That former first rounder. I believe this former first rounder, Corey Coleman, is going to follow in the same path because Chris Hogan's getting a little old. Julian Edelman's getting a little old. At some point, Bill Belichick is going to keep re, you know, re-upping the stable, and this is how he's doing it. I mean, I know your boy Austin Carr was there. He gone, but let's keep it real. Oh, they're regretting releasing Austin Carr. Every time they had to activate Chad Hansen, <laughs> Riley McCarron, in the back of their mind, every member of the front office in New England, they were thinking, God damn it, I wish we still had Austin Carr. Yeah, well... I think Corey Coleman could be better. I mean, this guy, if he ever got rid of the knucklehead factor, he could be a good contributor to a team that is still attached to one of the best quarterbacks in the history of the NFL, who, by the way, hasn't lost a damn step. And until further notice, I still consider a top five QB every single week blind. So net net bottom line, Philip Dorsett's value doesn't get lost for me this week on the waiver wire by this. You have to be concerned by Julian Edelman coming back. But in dynasty leagues, Corey Coleman's value just got, you know, you threw him into the dumpster last week and then you're like, oh my God. Oh, he's on waivers in dynasty. You need to go get him off the waiver wire. Come on. Did they pick up the dumpster yet? Oh no. Oh wait, he's still there. He's been rotting in the sun for a week, but I'll still take him out of the dumpster and bring him back into the house. Yeah. Philip Dorsett was free. Philip Dorsett was released in dynasty leagues, or you could trade a fourth rounder for him. And now Philip Dorsett with the four, three, three wheels gold in a starting position with the New England Patriots is going to help Dynasty Leaguers win championships. He's already helping DFS grinders in GPP tournaments, and I think he's going to be a GPP play again this week. It was the most underreported news story of the offseason that Philip Dorsett was a starting receiver on the Patriots' official depth chart. That was the case three months ago. And like with Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fantasy gamers just dismissed it. Ryan Fitzpatrick's going to be the starter against the Saints. Not interested. <laughs> Philip Dorsett's the starter in New England. Not interested. Those players betrayed me in the past. I'm done with those players. I'm just waving my hand away and with cognitive dissonance, just pretending those players no longer exist. And it never pays to pretend players no longer exist. And unfortunately, in Pittsburgh, we're forced to pretend that Le'Veon Bell no longer exists because for all intents and purposes, he doesn't exist until he reports. When is Le'Veon Bell going to report? Uh, I was hoping we would come back to this because you teased the James Conner talk. So two things. It's just 
It was blatantly obvious that with 31 rushing attempts and six targets, the Pittsburgh Steelers are like, they're like, we don't care if we lose this game. We're going to show Le'Veon Bell on national television that we give zero Fs if he comes back and plays this year. They were like, you know what, Lev Bell? You could say Fox. I know that you were duped by yes. my earlier lie that this is a family-friendly program, but no. The Pittsburgh Steelers give zero fucks about Le'Veon Bell. When he shows up, he shows up. But until then, they're rolling with the Terminator, James Conner. 31 carries for 135 yards. Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! Cliche alert! For 135 yards, they cut off their nose to spite their face, as the cliche goes, giving James Conner carries in a game in which they needed to be throwing more. They chose to run the ball only 10 times less than they threw it, which was a mistake. It's a mistake, but I love spiteful people when they act like this because it just feels so something like I would do. It's like, oh, Lavelle, you don't want to take my a lot of money contract to get run into the ground. I get it. I get everything. You want the long-term deal, but there's still a ton of money being left on the table. So let me show you that this all-world offensive line at a ridiculously large sample size of 31 rushes could still produce a 4.4 yards per carry rusher with you know basically no NFL experience. And by the way, he's a hometown guy there, went to Pitt, so they love him. God! Are you okay? Jesus Christ. Are you alright? Getting excited today. Oof, hold on. <clears throat> Is there water near you? I'm, I'm literally getting a cold. Can someone in your building give you the Heimlich? Can you imagine if this happened to me on air every morning at 6am? Oof. Should I call a doctor? Alright, kids. I'm alive. Oh, that was close. The James Conner 135 yards and two touchdowns, that's certainly a shiny object in this box score. Yeah. But it's not what I'm focused on. What I'm focused on is the receiving core. The most valuable thing in fantasy football is finding the consolidated target share receiving cores where there's no tight end of consequence. There is no satellite back of consequence. There's no number three receiver of consequence. There's just the number one and number two receivers hogging all the targets. The Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders situation with Peyton Manning. The Adam Thielen, Stephon Diggs situation we had with Case Keenum last year. And now it's Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown. Together, they commanded 24 of the 41 Ben Roethlisberger targets. Between those two receivers, they accounted for 58.5% of team targets. This is the Valhalla of fantasy wide receiver situations. This is what we've been waiting for. This is how two wide receivers on the same team can finish as WR1s in fantasy. No one should be surprised when not only is Antonio Brown a top 10 wide receiver in fantasy, so is Juju Smith-Schuster. Because he's not only getting the targets, he's incredibly efficient with those targets. Yeah, tremendous talent. I was fiending for him in the third round, late third round in a bunch of leagues. Believe it or not, almost every league I went in, he was jumped. I mean, and I'm proud of people for recognizing that. I think that when there's no question. What were you worried about, James Washington? He's a rookie wide receiver. Stop chasing the rookie wide receivers. If there was a singular lesson learned in week one, it's that rookie wide receivers cannot be trusted, especially in those early weeks. 
Anthony Miller. And I'm looking at the fantasy gamers that, for whatever reason, thought it would be a fun idea to start an Anthony Miller or a Michael Gallup. It doesn't pay. Or DJ Moore. They take time. DJ Moore is going to take time. Even Anthony Miller is going to take time. In the second half of the season, you can see yourself starting some of these wide receivers but not James Washington. James Washington is not going to be a thing this year. It's all about Juju and Brown. That's it. That is all that really matters. And to be honest, that's exactly what you described. Minnesota last year produced two WR1s, and it could happen again there. And and this is hyper-efficiency. You're channeling your best and most targets to your best players who could do the most with it. You, Dude, I've heard you talk about this for years. Why waste any touches for guys on your team that just aren't superior talents. So when teams do things like this, I don't knock it. Now, it's tough when you only have one guy. Like when Julio Jones has been operating as a solo act at the wide receiver position for basically his entire career, it's tough. So they're trying to develop someone alongside of him. But this particular situation with Ben Roethlisberger, you said it. It's Valhalla. It's the chupacabra of receiving uh, environment. And there's no other running back stealing touches from James Conner. Jalen Samuels didn't get a touch. It's Roethlisberger, Conner, Smith-Schuster, Brown, and that's it. And that's perfect. Being, uh, it's, it's being very smart by the Steelers to not get other people involved. They don't need to. That defense is also excellent. So if they just do the right thing and Ben Roethlisberger doesn't throw too many interceptions, they're going to win a lot of games. And if you're missing Le'Veon Bell, here's my advice. Go get Joe Mixon. Because Joe Mixon is the next Le'Veon Bell, is he not? He sure looks like it, but I don't think that even in redraft leagues right now that the Joe Mixon owner after this week's giving him up for Lev Bell. I think you're going to have to shoot lower. <laughs> I, mean, I, th- I think you're going to have to get like maybe Christian McCaffrey for Lev Bell. It's just, I wouldn't trade Joe Mixon for Lev Bell right now, and I don't even own Joe Mixon in any leagues this year. Look at how the opportunities were distributed this week in Cincinnati. It reminded me of the Le'Veon Bell, Antonio Brown opportunity breakdown for so many years in Pittsburgh, where Joe Mixon gets 17 carries as well as seven targets. So he was second on the team in targets and dominated all the carries. All but one of the running back carries went to Joe Mixon, and he finishes second on the team in targets. And when you watch him play, he looks like a more explosive version of Le'Veon Bell. He shows great patience, and he has the skill set to win in all phases of the game. I mean, he has rendered Giovanni Bernard obsolete. It's like you talked about in Pittsburgh. Why would you gratuitously give carries to a lesser talent in Giovanni Bernard when you can just give all the running back touches to Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon gives you a better chance to win, and therefore he is rendering a Giovanni Bernard obsolete. I interviewed Brian Westbrook last week on SiriusXM, and one of the things I asked him was, I was like, dude, how did you convince a coaching staff in Philadelphia to give you so many touches? I'm like, there were seasons there. He had over 2,000 yards per scrimmage. Seasons he, you know... Tons of carries, 90 catches, and what he said was very simple. He goes, no, I didn't have to convince my coaches. He said every NFL coach wants to, in the ideal world, find that guy that they can use in every situation and that they can give the ball to over and over again. And when they find that guy, they use him. The smart coaches do that, and that's what Joe Mixon is. He's the versatile player that they could keep giving the ball to, and there's no reason they, shouldn't, they should keep doing it. 
His ADP was slot 24 in high stakes leagues. So there are teams out there that have Todd Gurley and Joe Mixon. You realize that? It's amazing. It's amazing. They're winning leagues this year. I mean, congratulations. <laughs> I mean, enjoy their championship. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it looks like Giovanni Bernard is going to have a difficult time compiling fantasy points this year, but there are other satellite backs that exceeded expectations in week one. So of these sleeper satellite backs, I'm thinking Austin Eckler, Jalen Richard, Philip Lindsay. Which one of those three is the most for real? See, for real is a tough expression for me, but I- I'm going to oh, give you- come on! Point. You know what I mean! I, I do know what you mean, but- let- Who let is me- going to be the most prolific fantasy producer of that group this season? Who's the most for real, man? I believe that Philip Lindsay, because of his role, because he- Because he put Devontae Booker out to pasture, unfortunately. I used to like Devontae Booker. Out to pasture. That was a blatant cliche. Oof. That knocked me back in my chair. Here's the thing. Melvin Gordon led the league in week one in targets out of the running back position at 13. And Austin Eckler being the little damn vulture that he was last year. He's not going to affect Mel Gordon. Mel Gordon, th- this game was so out of hand, and the game script was so in the favor of the pass. Austin Eckler is going to get his touches every week, and if you fantasy gamers want to use him, I'm not. That's the Kermit the Frog emoji sipping the tea. That's none of my business. But I'll tell you right now, if I'm going for standalone value on my bench that maybe I will need to use in the flex every week and feel okay about it, yeah, Jalen Richard game scripted his way into 11 targets. I still think it's Philip Lindsay. He was being raved about in the preseason. He was a dark horse as a rookie this year, and I just I think he's the guy for me, but I'm open to hear about any of these because they're all coin flips right now. It's Philip Lindsay, and it's not Austin Eckler, but thankfully, Austin Eckler scored the most fantasy points. So in free agency and fantasy leagues, the public will be racing to add Austin Eckler. Austin Eckler will be the running back that Joe number one waiver claim is going to prioritize. Meanwhile, it's Jalen Rashard and Philip Lindsay, because I think that John Gruden has found his Chris Thompson in Jalen Rashard. Jalen Richard with five carries in addition to 11 targets? Think about that. A very Chris Thompson-esque usage pattern for Jalen Richard. And Jalen Richard is more athletic than he appears on playerprofiler.com. I had a number of individuals approach us at Player Profiler asking to correct Jalen Richard's athleticism numbers because he apparently conducted his pro day in the rain. So many believe he's faster than he tested. And when you watch him play, he is one of those players whose eye test is most incongruent with his measured athleticism. I love Jalen Richard in that passing game. 11 targets? 11 targets, Raph? Yeah. 11 targets? Game script be damned. 11 targets is 11 targets. I love the idea of Jalen Richard in the Chris Thompson role because I think that John wants to be like his brother and have that satellite back just like Chris Thompson. But when you put the scheme aside, and and this is what we do on this show, we often put the scheme aside and judge them for who they actually are. Rainy pro day or not, Philip Lindsay is by far and away the superior athlete. 4-4-4 wheels, 
122.4, 71st percentile burst score, and a mega producer at Colorado. It's not like Philip Lindsay went to Coastal Carolina. <laughs> no, 38% dominator rating, 85th percentile at a major conference university with the 14.6% college target share. So he was dominating in all phases despite being tiny. I mean, he's 5'7", 184. He's little. And then in an NFL game, Philip Lindsay commanded the same number of carries as Royce Freeman in a game in which the Denver Broncos were leading. This was a game in which game script dictated Denver run the ball. They were up at halftime by a touchdown. And yet it was not Royce Freeman that led this team in carries. It was Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. So that to me was an incredible sign that not only is Philip Lindsay getting the three targets, he's getting the carries, but he scored less fantasy points than Austin Eckler. So you don't have to have the number one waiver claim to get him, assuming TJ Yeldon is already owned, and it'll take less fab budget to acquire him than Austin Eckler. It's beautiful. I totally agree. By the way, it's so startling. Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay, when I say identical stat line in the running game this week, identical. 15 carries, 71 yards, 4.7 per carry for both of them. How many targets did Royce Freeman get? 0.0, my friend. Oh, 0.0! But we love Freeman. He was a college mega producer. I love Royce Freeman. I think his opportunity share is only going to grow, but this is very much a Joe Mixon situation from last year. Philip Lindsay is going to get touches. It looks like Royce Freeman will not be fully unlocked until later in the season, worst case, week one of 2019. Barring an injury now to Philip Lindsay, who has emerged with a standalone role plus a Deion Lewis-esque player in this offense, I believe this is going to be, like you said, a low-end RB2 season for Freeman. If the Denver Broncos are smart, they don't overexpose their pass-happy offense, and they let these guys get the touches. So that's, to me, the smart move. And don't worry, kids. When they get close to the goal line, I still believe Royce Freeman's going to stuff them in. So just be patient. Oh, yeah. Be patient with Royce Freeman. you got to play Royce Freeman this week. You can't bench Royce Freeman just because he didn't score a touchdown in week one. That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's not the way to do it, kids. If you're going to do that, you just throw it out the window. They're playing the Raiders, by the way. You're good to go with Royce Freeman. Yeah, Royce Freeman is a must-start this week against the Raiders. At home. Tyler Lockett's also a must-start because Doug Baldwin is going to miss week two. He suffered a strained MCL. A spra- he suffered a sprained MCL, sadly, but that just means it's the Tyler Lockett show. Can anything stop Tyler Lockett from being a top 20 fantasy receiver this season? Not right now. It's looking good, and quite frankly, he was one of those guys that you're supposed to be adding right before week one started when you had those free waiver claims, Quincy Inunua, him, you know, the Paul Richardsons of the world, all these like little guys, uh, you know, that could get those like slot receiver or like PPR to death kind of value. Tyler Lockett's going to have that and more. But even Brandon Marshall, who's disgusting and I hate and is old and moldy, is going to be a flex play this week because when the primary target getter in your offense is gone and uh, um, Jimmy Graham is gone, those guys have to get work. They're going to have to get work. Yeah, it's the law of the conservation of targets. Nothing can stop Tyler Lockett from being a thing. And unfortunately, Brandon Marshall's a thing. He just is. There's nothing you can do. I wanted to be Jerron Brown. I so wanted Jerron Brown to step up and to be the number two receiver 
in the absence of Doug Baldwin, but it's not going to happen. Jerron Brown, only three targets, one catch, seven yards. Jerron Brown truthers died this weekend, and it's unfortunate, but we just need to band together and focus our enthusiasm on Tyler Lockett. And why were fantasy gamers drafting injured players early in the first place? We told you not to draft Doug Baldwin. I know it was a random fluke injury where a player rolled up on him and it wasn't directly tied to the knee injury he suffered in preseason necessarily, but it doesn't change the mantra that you do not draft injured players with early round draft capital in fantasy football. And if you drafted Doug Baldwin as your wide receiver two or three, thinking you were getting a steal in round four, five, six, you were doing it wrong. We spoke about this on the show that you were on right after the Doug Baldwin news broke that he wasn't going to play for the entire preseason. And me, you, and Josh overwhelmingly, I think as guys who recognized the upside for target share in general with him, were like, no, thank you. We're like, we're not touching this guy. Yeah, yeah. you just put him on your do not draft list. It's that easy. You know someone's going to draft him. It's so easy. In the sixth round at the latest. And sixth round or earlier for an injured wide receiver, even one that projected to command over 120 targets, is just too expensive. Later in the draft, you could have gotten Kenny Galladay. Kenny Galladay was the target. Kenny Galladay went over 100 yards. Kenny Galladay had more targets than Marvin Jones. Sweatpant boner for you, bro? (laughs) I mean... Yes. I think we can agree. The Kenny Galladay versus Chris Godwin sophomore wide receiver upside contest is over, right? It's Kenny Galladay. Yeah, it's over. It doesn't. It doesn't mean Godwin isn't a isn't a boss in his own right, but it's over because because Galladay is just so good, <laughs> man. Because he's so good, right? I mean, he's just really good. He's really good because Marvin Jones is good. Like I get it. You like Marvin Jones. I like Marvin Jones. Everybody should love Marvin Jones. Marvin Jones was number one on Player Profiler in completed air yards last season. He's a fantastic receiver, but he ain't Kenny Galladay. And he was a fraud at a borderline WR1 because there was an enormous amount of production and Galladay wasn't getting touchdown production and Galladay wasn't in the lineup as often. So right off the bat, you have to just lower your expectations knowing that in year two, Galladay was going to see more targets, more opportunity share, more snap share. That's it. Yeah, the splits were terrifying last year when Galladay played, Marvin Jones was a WR3. When Galladay didn't play, Jones was a WR1. Yeah, it's huge. So again, it's not that I don't like Marvin Jones, guys. I've been outspoken. I've been calling him a fraud WR1, WR2 from last year because you drafted him in the fifth or sixth round, and I was worried about that. Let's start a game. By low? By low on, on Marvin Jones? Yes, you can. That defense is bad, and they're going to pass a lot. Let's go down the list of wide receivers that underperformed expectations this week and identify the wide receivers that are the best buy-low candidates. So you're not buying low on Marvin Jones. I don't know if it's low enough. Right? He didn't. He didn't go. He didn't. He didn't really just have a three-pointer. So Marvin Jones might actually be a sell-low candidate at this point because you could still get good value for Marvin Jones. Many of your competitors might believe that. Week one was a fluke. Team just played bad. Get out for Marvin Jones while you can. I actually believe that Marvin Jones is a buy here because it looks like the Lions will have a difficult time winning games. And if it's going to be DGAF, Matthew Stafford, down two scores in the second half, I want wide receivers on that offense on my fantasy team. If I am treated to DGAF, 
Matthew Stafford this season. I want Golden Tate. I want Kenny Galladay. I want Marvin Jones because that team is dreadful. They will finish the year as one of the worst teams in the league. And I know it's a snap judgment based on one game, but I feel like I've seen enough of the Matt Patricia era. We knew that Matt Patricia was a fraud all along. He was a puppet defensive coordinator in New England. And you shouldn't be surprised when you hire a puppet to be your head coach when the plays are drawn up in crayon. He looked... He was making Donald Trump faces on the sideline. The ones where he was imitating disabled people. Like, literally, Matt Patricia looked lost. And it's not a question. He almost lost the Patriots to Super Bowl two years ago. And then for some reason, he was kept around to lose them one this year. And I don't like Matt Patricia. He's been terrible. This is what I didn't understand. Why are you hiring a defensive coordinator from a team with a bad defense? That never made any sense! Oh, God. Just because he stood next to Bill Belichick at a urinal in the Patriots facility? That's why you're hiring Matt fucking Patricia? Yeah, if you know... Matt Patricia famously wore a shirt with a picture of Roger Goodell wearing a clown nose. But it's Matt Patricia who should be wearing the clown nose on Sundays. Apparently in the NFL, if you've been around Bill Belichick close enough in proximity where you know the the smell variety of his flatulence, then you have a long leash in the NFL. You can just keep getting jobs and keep getting paid more money, and no one will ever stop you as long as you want to do it. Worst hire of the offseason. He's disgusting. Honestly, I don't even want to talk about him anymore. Okay, back to the game. By low? Kelvin Benjamin? No, that Buffalo Bills offense is grotesque. I can't trust it. I mean, you want to well, you want to let him rot on your bench after you buy low. Do it. I can't trust that guy. Kelvin Benjamin was top 12 in total target distance this week. And the Josh Allen era starts in week two in Buffalo. RIP Nathan Peterman. And Josh Allen can get hot. I mean, Josh Allen's not good, but he can get hot. And if Kelvin Benjamin is the alpha dog receiver in this wide receiver core, and he is the focal point of the passing game, and he's top 12 in total air yards or total target distance, as we call it on playerprofiler.com, then I believe Kelvin Benjamin is a buy because he only scored two fantasy points. So when you're outside the top 90 in wide receiver fantasy points, but you're inside the top 12 in total target distance after week one, you are a buy. Chris Hogan, see a buy? Yes, Chris Hogan's definitely 100%. Yes, of course, Chris Hogan's a buy. You don't dismiss Chris Hogan after one bad week. Get out of here. That was a fluke week. Chris Hogan will be back. Amari Cooper? Bye, bye, bye. Jordy Nelson? Bye, bye, bye. Nelson Aguilar? Bye, bye, bye. Jamison Crowder. Bye 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 bye. Sammy Watkins. No bye. No likey. Nah, honestly, I see what you're doing here. You want me to say bye? Anything attached to Patrick Mahomes is sexy. Go ahead and buy it. The buy low in the Chiefs passing game is actually Travis Kelsey. Yeah. I'm fine selling low on Sammy Watkins. You could say, well. Tyreek Hill helps Sammy Watkins by stretching the field and creating more room underneath for Sammy Watkins to operate. Well, 
when you have a DGAF quarterback, it doesn't matter how much room you have underneath. He's not going to throw it in your direction anyway. He's going to throw it up to Tyreek Hill, whether Tyreek Hill is technically covered or not. So the targets are just not going to come to Sammy Watkins. He's the number three option in that passing game. By the way, kids, if you're trying to understand, I don't know how often you say DGAF on the pods because I love it. And and there's nothing better than a DGAF quarterback. Doesn't give a fuck, Raph. There it is, guys. Patrick Mahomes does not give a fuck. Love it. Sex appeal all over the place with Mahomes. By low on Keelan Cole. Yeah, you could do that for sure. Of course, of course. My favorite by low of this week is Keelan Cole. He's still the number one receiver in a passing game that is going to have to throw the ball more than they did last year. Get Keelan Cole, who I compare to blasphemy alert do a blasphemy alert sounder <laughs> blasphemy <laughs> keelan cole who i compare to antonio brown buy low on anthony miller i'm sorry no i'm not an anthony miller truther and i'm is anthony miller a rookie yeah is anthony miller a rookie tethered to an unproven quarterback you're damn right he is so why would you buy low on Anthony Miller? What about Mike Wallace? I mean, he's a little long in the tooth for me. I get it. Not for me. Nope, 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 nope. I don't want to hear it. He has juice left just like Ted Ginn, just like Deshaun Jackson. There's still juice left with Mike Wallace. How do we know? He's the starter. If he didn't have juice left, he would have been cut. The fact that he made the team is all I need to know with Mike Wallace. He's a starter on a prolific offense. This is the week to play Mike Wallace against the Buccaneers, who Ted Ginn. He was 5 for 6 for 68, averaged 13.6 and a touchdown. Score 20 fantasy points. I mean, fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. 20 fantasy points in PPR. He looks like Ted Ginn, and he plays like Ted Ginn, and he's facing the same defense that Ted Ginn just faced. Go get this week's Ted Ginn. That game was great, but we need to talk more about running backs. I call this game worried much. How much are you worried about Leonard Fournette? Like an 8 out of 10. I mean, he's hurt, right? Yeah. That's a problem. Big one. Devontae Freeman's hurt. You worried about Devontae Freeman? I am, because he was already barely a 60% opportunity share running back, and now I'm terrified. Yeah. Fournette with a strained quad. Get TJ Yeldon. TJ Yeldon is your free square running back this week. Devontae Freeman has a knee injury. Get Tevin Coleman. Are you worried much about Kareem Hunt? A little bit. New offense, new quarterback, new tendencies. A little bit. I'm worried about Kareem Hunt. It's the Patrick Mahomes show in Kansas City. Kansas City was leading all game. They were crushing the Chargers for the entirety of that contest. And yet Kareem Hunt didn't score fantasy points. That doesn't make sense. I'm worried. Worried much about LaShawn McCoy? Very worried. And I thought I had a steal in the fourth round of 12-team PPR leagues. Terrified of LaShawn McCoy. In standard leagues, in standard leagues, standard leagues. Worried about Jordan Howard? No, not in standard leagues. I think he'll be fine. I'm worried about Jordan Howard in all formats because he only commanded 15 carries. The John Fox era was good for Jordan Howard. The idea that fantasy gamers were buying Jordan Howard because of the coaching change. That Matt Nagy would help Jordan Howard. In what world? Matt Nagy's going to go out there and open up wider running lanes for Jordan Howard? That's not how this works. 
if you are rostering the between the tackles grinder for a particular team, you want that team's coach to be run oriented. Matt Nagy is not run oriented. He's very much the opposite. Matt Nagy is good for Allen Robinson. Matt Nagy is good for Mitchell Trubisky. Matt Nagy is not good for Jordan Howard. The Chicago Bears were up 17-0 in the first half, and Jordan Howard was only given 15 carries. You should be worried. Yeah. Because you were already worried in PPR leagues. I think those in standard leagues need to be worried about Jordan Howard. Should all fantasy gamers be worried about Kenyon Drake? Yeah, I'm not a Drake truther, so they should. I I don't like Kenyon Drake. (laughs) I don't like him. When you're out-efficiencyed, by the signature zombie running back of our time, Frank Gore, you need to be worried. Worried about Chris Carson? Yeah, Rashad Penny's the guy there long term. I think that we may have seen peak Chris Carson in week one. (laughs) He and Rashad Penny commanded the same number of carries. Chris Carson, 51 yards. Rashad Penny, 8 yards. But guess what? Chris Carson caught less passes. And Rashad Penny has the draft capital. Over time, as the weeks go by, draft capital wins. And the inefficiency that Rashad Penny showed in week one compared to Chris Carson's efficiency will fall like sands in an hourglass. You romanticized that take. That was poetic. That was really good. I love that. Hmm. You got into your sexy voice. I had to go extra poetry in order to somehow tout the running back that went seven for eight over the running back that went seven for 51. (laughs) Are you worried about Derrick Henry? Yeah, he's disgusting. Yes, I'm worried about Derrick Henry. Deion Lewis. It is a problem for Derrick Henry. Here's how you know it's a problem for Derrick Henry. (laughs) I'm out here in Dynasty picking up David Flulin. (laughs) That's how you know. (laughs) Exactly. <laughs> it's a problem for Derrick Henry. And an injury to Marcus Mariota is also bad for Derrick Henry because a mobile quarterback freezes linebackers. So when Blaine Gabbert's the quarterback, not only will Derrick Henry enjoy fewer red zone opportunities, but he's facing linebackers with a forward lean instead of linebackers that are on their heels. So for lots of reasons, I'm worried about Derrick Henry, and I think it's the Deion Lewis show in Tennessee. As long as Blaine Gabbert's the quarterback, that team will be losing more than they're winning, and that means Deion Lewis time is now! Yeah, they paid him. He was great last season. You watch football, Deion Lewis was popping on every play. Yeah, because Deion Lewis is better at football than Derrick Henry, even though Derrick Henry is much bigger. Size, in this particular case... Doesn't matter. If you drafted and stashed Aaron Jones, congratulations. You feel great, right? You feel great. Why? Checking out this Chicago Bears, Green Bay Packers box score. If you're an Aaron Jones owner, you feel terrific because look at what Jamal Williams put together. 15 carries for 47 yards, 3.1 yards per carry. And then in the passing game, he was completely useless. 0 for 2 when targeted. Aaron Jones can't arrive fast enough. Worried much about Jamal Williams? Yeah, he'll be useless in a couple of weeks. They'll phase in Aaron Jones, maybe give him a diminished touch rate for the first couple of weeks, and then it's over for Jamal Williams. Starting in week three, Jamal Williams will be as useful as a bag of dicks. (laughs) B-O-D, yes. This should be the name of the show, Jamal Williams' Bag of Dicks. That's a great title. A+. plus. I'm not afraid to put that shit on iTunes, are you? No. (laughs) 
I run my own business so I can do whatever the fuck I want. That's the hot take of the week, baby. I agree. Yes. Worried about Alfred Morris? Dude, he's waiver fodder. Alfred Morris? Who? It's over. Alfred Morris is great in a positive game script environment, but there's not going to be a lot of positive game script in San Francisco. Buy low on Matt Breida. The best buy low right now, other than Tevin Coleman and TJ Yeldon, is Matt Breida. Agreed. He's just getting started, guys. That that's a, It's a long season. It was a tough matchup. Alf Morris, in his best week this year, is going to give you 11 PPR points. That's disgusting, and it's not startable. You put him on the wire, you get a better running back, and you go with Matt Breida blindly every week in San Francisco. I love these games. Let's play a tight end game. Fraud or no fraud? Let's start with the tight ends that were good on Sunday. There were a handful, not very many. The tight end renaissance that I predicted is not happening. (laughs) (laughs) because too many of the tight ends are getting hurt. Delaney Walker out for the season. Greg Olson may be out for the season. And if we lose Delaney Walker and Greg Olson in week one, it would be very difficult for a tight end renaissance to get off the ground. But I also called this. I wrote the original stay away from tight ends because they're the most injury prone position in sports article on playerprofiler.com. So I shouldn't be surprised that my tight end renaissance prediction was doomed from the start. But if we have a young tight end to celebrate, is it not George Kittle? It really is. I've been all over. The moment McKinnon got injured, I said invest in the passing game in in, in San Francisco. And that starts with the most undervalued guy, George Kittle. 12-team PPR leagues, he's going to be a tight end one this year. There's no wide receiver one in San Francisco. That means targets will funnel to their starting tight end. And that's George Kittle. George Kittle in cash. George Kittle is a cash game play. He was a cash game play last week because there are so few tight ends that have target shares that are this reliable. And the beauty is George Kittle's also a GPP play because he has a 124.1, 89th percentile Spark X score. How does he have such a high Spark X score, that Nike composite athleticism score? Because when you get burst, agility, speed score, everything across the board. Check those workout metrics on playerprofiler.com. Nothing is lower than the 89th percentile. That's why he's best comparable to Dustin Keller. If you remember Dustin Keller, Dustin Keller was an elite fantasy tight end for a period of time because he was so explosive and he was so great at getting down the seam. George Kittle can get down the seam, but you need a quarterback that can fearlessly deliver the ball down the seam. And that guy is Jimmy Garoppolo. It's a perfect fit. George Kittle and Jimmy Garoppolo in San Francisco. George Kittle could be their number one receiver at the end of the season. It's unbelievable. He's not a fraud at all. I'm so excited about George Kittle. Are you excited about Jared Cook? I am for the last two years. I think he's a fringe tight end one in PPR. I own him in two tight end leagues. I like I like him. I don't think he's a fraud. I just he's not going to be this prolific every week. You need to buy Jared Cook. Yeah. I'm not buying Jordy Nelson. I'm worried about Jordy Nelson. I know you're not worried about Jordy Nelson. I'm absolutely worried about the six foot three, two hundred and twenty pound, thirty three year old former X, former Z, now slot receiver who who commanded four targets in a blowout loss. I'm worried about that player. And if Jordy Nelson is washed, that means the target share will further consolidate to Amari Cooper, Jalen Richard, and, and, wheels up for Jared Cook. I'm excited. You excited about Eric Ebron? Yeah, it's 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 enough of a sample. Andrew Lux used two tight ends effectively in the past. Eric Ebron catches passes. 
So I'm I'm good with that. Yeah, he's a low end tight end one. Eric Ebron is the Kobe Fleener to Jack Doyle's Dwayne Allen in yeah. Indianapolis. Like yeah. it or not, Eric Ebron's not going away. He's not a fraud. I want to say he is, but he's not. Well, Will Disley, fraud or no fraud? He's a little fraudulent. I I know you know I know some people like it. Um, I would go Jonu Smith over Will Disley if I'm taking flyers. So that's just me personally. Oh, that's an important point. We have. Three potential free square tight ends on the waiver wire this week. It's Will Disley, it's Jonu Smith, it's Ian Thomas. You should not be adding Will Disley. He runs a 4.87, and he has no burst. (laughs) His burst score, 104.5, second percentile. So this is a blocking tight end who just happened to get loose. That happens in the NFL. Random events and outcomes happen on NFL football fields. His best comparable is Jake Ballard. Meanwhile, it's wheels up for Ian Thomas and Jonu Smith. And I like them equally. The difference is that Ian Thomas is a rookie and Jonu Smith is a second-year tight end. And I much prefer the tight end with experience. That's why I'm adding Jonu Smith wherever possible. But if I can't get Jonu Smith, I want Ian Thomas. Oh, his best comparable is Austin Hooper. I like Austin Hooper. But Ian Thomas, 10-20, 83rd percentile catch radius. He was productive, efficient, He was productive and efficient at the college level, and he tested out as one of the best athletes at the tight end position. It was a weak tight end class, with the exception of Dallas Goddard, Mike Gusecki, and the third tight end infinity stone in this rookie class was Ian Thomas. I'm feeling Cam Newton throwing to tight ends. He's a rookie. He's a rookie. He's a rookie. Devin Funches is wheels up here. (laughs) Yes, yes. Yes. Yes, thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for saying it. Devin Funches is the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL, and that was with a healthy Greg Olson. Now Devin Funches is by far and away, leaps and bounds, the most underrated wide receiver in the NFL. Devin Funches is both a cash game and a GPP play this week. And he is the one receiver I am most heavily targeting in trade talks and seasonal leagues. I have him in so many places, I can't even possibly trade for him. But I agree with you. If you're looking to do that, you better go ahead and do that. The law of the conservation of targets. It's unlikely to be the rookie tight end. It's unlikely to be the rookie wide receiver. It's going to be the established alpha dog in this passing game. And his name is Devin Funches. It doesn't have to be hard. Who's the number one receiver? It's Devin Funches. The targets will consolidate in Carolina around Funches and McCaffrey. It's wheels up for Funches. And if you are already excited about Christian McCaffrey, you need to be even more excited. It's so disrespectful that Funches is 4700 this week on DraftKings. Get out of here with that pricing, DraftKings. Get out of here with that. I love number one receivers put in a position to command 10-plus targets that are less than $5,000 on DraftKings because it just makes because it makes it so easy to build lineups with elite running backs, and that's what you should be looking to do in DFS. Fraud or no fraud, Zach Ertz? He's not a fraud. Not for me. No way. Jimmy no. Graham? Getting long in the tooth, but not quite a fraud. David Njoku's not a fraud, is he? No way, dude. No. no, no, no. And I'm not dropping him. I have him in two leagues. I'm rolling him. Nope. This is all... I, 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 listed, three, I listed three tight ends we know to be good as a setup to the final tight end in our fraud, no fraud game. I'm hoping for a correct answer from Real Talk Raph. Fraud or no fraud, Trey Burton. Warning. Warning. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. 
Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Nothing made me happier than Trey Burton scoring 1.5 fantasy points on five targets this week. These players scored the same number of fantasy points as Trey Burton this week. Josh Hill, Torrey Smith, (laughs) Jeff Hewerman, Chris Conley, and wait for it. Wait for it. Wait for it. Devontae Booker! (laughs) Oh. Oh, boy. Notice the trend there, guys. No one in that that discussion has fantasy value. (laughs) Okay, so we talked about DFS. Who are your chalkiest running back plays this week? Oh, boy. If you if you want to pay up at running back, you always got to do the, the smart thing and Gurley. go for Todd Gurley. Yep. Um, and by the way, David Johnson's going to be low-owned because I don't think he gave fantasy owners what they thought. Um, he only scored 14 points in PPR leagues last year last week. But both him and Melvin Gordon are firmly, firmly in all lineups this week. Oh, Melvin Gordon is a cash play this week against Buffalo. You kidding me? Buffalo's the worst team in the league. He's also one of the safest running backs for volume, period, end of story. Get out of here with your annoying Melvin Gordon didn't average over five yards per catch. I don't want to hear it anymore about Melvin Gordon from anyone ever again. I think I'll be building cash game rosters around Gurley, Melvin Gordon, and then the free square running back TJ Yeldon. But I think that others will see Jay Ajayi and Adrian Peterson as chalk. You agree? I do like Ajayi in general in PPR leagues. I I think AP is going to be chalk because he produced huge last week and he's still very cheap. That's right. That's it. But but Deion Lewis is 5K and it's going to possibly be a shootout there. And it's, you know, 5K. Deion Lewis is not going to be chalk in cash in week two with Derrick Henry healthy. But in GPP, I do think Deion Lewis is a very intriguing play. Now, speaking of GPPs, let's look at some GPP plays at wide receiver. Philip Dorsett? Yeah, why not? Right? Yeah. And again, fantasy football doesn't have to be hard. Are you super fast playing 90% of the snaps with Tom Brady? Yes. Okay, play Philip Dorsett in GPPs. Kenny Stills? 100% yes. Right? What's the theme here? Streakers. If you run a sub 4-4, you're going to produce splash plays, and you need to be rostered in GPP formats. Mike Wallace? 100%. 100%. Yeah. 100%. He's playing the box. You got to get Mike Wallace in your GPP contests. Same with Didi Westbrook. Didi Westbrook is a splash play specialist. The only difference is he doesn't run a sub 4440. He just plays like he does. And he won the Bolitnikoff. And that's good enough for me. The sneakiest GPP play at wide receiver this week, it's Paul Richardson. Yeah. Because some will think, oh, it's Josh Doxson. He's the high upside GPP play on Washington. Not so fast, not so fast. The play is Paul Richardson. Love Paul Richardson. Love the matchup. Love his very consistent, safe, accurate quarterback. He's only priced at 4200 And I just want to give an honorable mention to one of the top redraft leagues, waiver wire pickups of the week. Geronimo Allison at home, 3800 on DraftKings. I know it's Minnesota, but he's not getting Xavier Rhodes, kids. So as far as I'm concerned, yes. for $3,800, you are literally stuffing him in the flex in almost every GPP lineup. Geronimo!
Have you considered blowing a shofar for the Jews on Rosh Hashanah? Because you have some lung capacity, my friend. That's why they call me the Podfather. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. And a signature truther on Roto Underworld and Roto Baller, Quincy Anunwa, has hit. So now we need another. Who's your new truther player? There are quite a few, but the guy right now that I'm locking in on is Chris Godwin. I still Chris Godwin's not a truther. Okay. Truther is a player who is flying under the radar in all league formats that no one respects, who has been in the league a couple years, has yet to break out, but you still believe. That's what a truther is, Raph. All right, well, if we're going to go into this exact minutia, I just look at... What do you mean this exact minutia? It's either a truther or it's not. <laughs> what are you talking about? You saying Chris Godwin is a truther is like saying that Juju Smith-Schuster was a sleeper in seasonal leagues this year. Not everyone's like us. Chris Godwin is still a dark horse Get to some players. Here. John Brown, 1,000-yard receiving season under his belt. John Brown just broke out this week. It's obvious to everyone that John Brown's going to be a thing. Three catches, 44 yards, and a touchdown. You're too late. Who else? Who else? Go deeper. You want me to say Austin Carr for you? Yes. Can you say Austin Carr for me? Austin Carr. Yes, Austin Carr. He's a starter in three receiver sets. According to our game charters, he was excellent in the run game, blocking for Alvin Kamara, and he has sure hands when targeted by Drew Brees. That's what we're looking for. Don't be surprised when Austin Carr is the next Lance Moore. You heard it here first. Traquan Smith is a rookie, and Cameron Meredith is coming off a double knee ligament replacement. So if you're coming off a double knee ligament replacement, and you're likely not going to be fantasy relevant early in the season, and if you're a rookie, you're likely not going to be fantasy relevant early in the season, Austin Carr did just enough to show us that he's going to be involved, but didn't do too much to generate attention from the majority of fantasy gamers that don't listen to Roto Baller and Roto Underworld Radio. Austin Carr, two targets, but he caught both. Two catches, 20 yards. When the Saints face teams with a strong presence at the number one corner position, Drew Brees' targets will funnel to Austin Carr. Drew Brees' targets will funnel to Austin Carr. All right, that's the show. We got to go. I was just going to tell you that my very bold prediction is that Patrick Mahomes is easily finishing as a top five QB this year in fantasy football. That's all. That's in the outtakes. There it is, baby. Boom. Shabbat shalom. Dion Lewis time is now. Have you considered blowing a shofar for the Jews on Rosh Hashanah? Because you have some lung capacity, my friend. That's why they call me the Podfather. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. This should be the name of the show. Jamal Williams' bag of dicks. I run my own business so I can do whatever the fuck I want. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Because it's possible Greg Olson has played his last snap in the NFL. I love how you can casually sit there in the spring or summer or fall breeze with your backyard window open, 
recording podcasts only worrying about birds chirping in the background. I, my friend, have ambulances and fire trucks and all kinds of law enforcement zipping by. That is not an option for me. The bane of my existence are the leaf blowers. The leaf blower people can go to hell. Use a rake. Use a rake. Use a broom to rid the area of grass clippings. Enough with the leaf blowers that I'm living that cul-de-sac life. These, these crickets, <laughs> they do chirp even during the day. So I do know there's a little bit of a background of a, a slight chirp and the occasional bird caw. And that's about it. Nature's cadence. Nature's crescendo behind you. Nature's cadence, dude. So this was a good week for us to do this, considering the Jets. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Right? I mean, the Jets, dude. I mean, this is, everyone just dismissed them as, uh, you know, the Jets. 48-17. Sexy win on the road. And boy, did Matt Patricia get exposed as a fraud, which I knew he was. I just... I, Forced Matt Castle into the game. The Jets forced Matt Castle into the game. Isaiah Crowell was a beast. You know what was crazy is that uh, he got outtouched by Bilal Powell, but because he looked so explosive, he, Marshawn Lynch and Isaiah Crowell last night looked faster than the other running backs on the field. When you watch those games, they had some bursts. So I don't know if it was week one and they were amped up or they're just in here ready to work in 2018. But, but look, dude, don't make Isaiah Crowell the pass catcher. Let freaking Bilal Powell handle what he does best and just do it. You know, I have no problem with the Jets doing it with these two ugly running backs. It's better than last year with that damn time show, that's for sure. Bilal Powell had no one else next to him, you know. So Robbie Anderson never got suspended? Dude, it's pending. <laughs> I keep looking up and he's in the game and I'm like, wait a second. How is he playing in week one? Has any NFL player survived an offseason with two arrests, of which one he basically is on tape disrespecting law enforcement? Like, has anyone survived that? No. No, it's out of control. It's crazy. How is he playing? I love that he's playing. He's. It's crazy. How is he playing? I love that he's playing. He's playing well with the one or two targets he's getting. Jets fans are going to forget what they had last year in McCown. McCown was a good chucker. He liked to get the ball into the receiver's hands. He didn't care who it was, and he did it downfield. You can't expect our rookie quarterback to be taking Robbie Anderson shots. He's going to take Quincy Inunua shots over the middle, 10 yards, 15 yards. Dude, Robbie Anderson is Inunua's best friend. He stretches the field for Quincy Inunua to get it done over the middle. But Robbie Anderson is Martavis Bryant. He's just not going to have a ton of volume, and he's going to have to get it done on the big play. And the tight end there is Sterling, man. I, I don't know what that's about. I mean, isn't Inunua, Inunua really the tight end? When Jermaine Curse comes back, we now have essentially three starting receivers, and I believe Inunua's playing inside the whole time. Sterling has added 25 pounds. Since coming into the league, I mean, are you truthering a Jets tight end for me right now? He was good at whatever college he was at, Monmouth. Why don't they know how to use a tight end for offense ever? They did. It's just that Austin Severian Jenkins had the worst touchdown luck in the history of the NFL last season. He would have been a tight end one last year had he scored touchdowns that were not overturned by penalty or where he was interfered with blatantly or had the instant replay not overturned what looked to be a touchdown. 
or if he broke out in like week one or two and not, you know, whenever he did break out, which I'm pretty sure was closer to the middle of the season. I feel like you and I kind of can relate to this. Like, I think we're pretty liberal with uh, live and let live. Like, if you want to do drugs, you want to drink, do your thing, but just be responsible in the face of your employer. But like, is like, it's crazy with guys like him because... You know, you have Martavis Bryant, man. We knew, I knew the second I heard he's going to Oakland, I didn't even, it wasn't a question. Weed is legal in Oakland. I knew he was going to have a problem there. And it's sad, but then you have guys like Safarian Jenkins who, you know, alcoholism follows you to every city. It's legal everywhere. And this guy is really transcending that. I just feel so bad for certain guys who, even Josh Gordon, I don't think he's over those substance issues, man. I think there's still something there lingering with Josh Gordon. I really do. Well, there will always be something lingering. That's what they talk about when you join the program, that it never leaves you. It's your dark passenger for your entire life. Jarvis Landry played all training camp and preseason with Terod Taylor. So, of course, Terod Taylor knows where he's going to be. The rapport is there. There's no rapport with Josh Gordon. You just heave it to Josh Gordon out of desperation when you need a touchdown, and he delivers. The target share is going to be all Landry this year. It's going to be crazy. Landry was a great value. Landry was a great value, and I begged people to use his value as their WR2 who will play like a WR1. I got really a little annoyed with people who were drafting so heavy at RB, which I do too, but then they drafted so heavy that you have to use Landry at WR1. I just think you're going to win leagues if you drafted correctly and Landry's your WR2 and you still have that workhorse uh, RB1. I'm, I'm going to see how this plays out, but Landry's going to produce like a WR1. The question is, do you have two WR1s on your team because you drafted correctly, or is he the guy? Do you remember when the, the debate was Joe Mixon or Jordan Howard, and that Jordan Howard has a safer floor because of the coach? <laughs> and now Joe Mixon looks like the next Le'Veon Bell, and Jordan Howard is doing what he does, plodding along in a committee. Do people not listen to Jordan Howard quotes? I mean, Jordan Howard actually caught a ball or two this week. But, like, Jordan Howard, within this preseason of this year, told reporters he can't catch footballs and that it's been going on his whole life. You know, he had 80 yards. He had five catches and five targets. I mean, that was very encouraging. But the reason why Jordan Howard was being drafted ahead of Joe Mixon in drafts was the coaching difference. The Chicago Bears would be so much better than the Cincinnati Bengals based on what? Based on nothing. Based on nothing but narrative. So if you just look at the players in a vacuum, Joe Mixon's far superior. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, it's not even close. By the way, you know what's interesting? Tariq Cohen, along with a lot of other satellite backs like Philip Lindsay, getting a few too many carries. But he only got five, and he, he also averaged five yards per, which is basically what George Howard did. And on his receptions, he had four receptions. So it's one of those things where if Tariq Cohen, if they just decide they want to increase his volume, I don't actually think he's that much worse of a producer than Jordan Howard. I mean, yeah, he's not a workhorse. You don't want him getting banged up for 16 games, you know, in the middle and taking those goal line shots. But ultimately, the efficiency will outweigh, you know, the production in those situations. Tariq Cohen wouldn't surprise me if he got equal touches this year, that he would be an equal or better producer in PPR to Jordan Howard. I just don't know if he's going to get the volume attempts. That's the issue. Well, Jordan Howard had 15 carries in a game in which the Chicago Bears were leading 17-0 at halftime. Why are you celebrating the Matt Nagy hire if you own Jordan Howard? That doesn't make sense. Even when a run play call was suboptimal, they were still running the ball. That's what you want. You want John Fox if you have Jordan Howard. 
Matt Nagy is bad for Jordan Howard because it means less opportunities. So why are you celebrating the Matt Nagy hire as a Jordan Howard owner in Dynasty, for example? It made no fucking sense. Do you think Matt Nagy's going to create wider running lanes? What are you talking about? The whole Nagy narrative just w- w- went too far this year. It went so far that people told me Trubisky was going to be good. It went so far that Trey Burton was a fifth-round pick in PPR leagues. It went so far that everyone just kept telling me how good the Bears' offense. Freaking rookie wide receivers being drafted ahead of Quincy Anunua. Mitchell Trubisky is going to be better. This is a great buy-low opportunity on Trubisky, especially in Dynasty, because that Packers secondary is so good. It is an excellent secondary. They have pterodactyls from 1 to 4 on the depth chart in that secondary. So I think that he will be better this year. If anything is helped by the Matt Nagy hire, it's the passing game. It's It's not the running game, Raph. So I think he'll be fine, but... Trey Burton is the one who jumped the shark in the passing game. Oh, my God. Get out of here. Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. Was 48-17? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Are you okay, by the way? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I was worried you had an endless penis caught in your throat. Hey, now. Hey, now. Ah! If you give me 80 catches this year, I'll do things to an Oh, boy! No! Giraffe! Come on! This is a family-friendly program. Not when I'm on. Congratulations, Raph! You have an unprecedented young quarterback. Did they pick up the dumpster yet? Oh, no! Oh, wait! He's still there! You can say fucks. We're damn ecstatic, Mr. Manchin. Quarterback doesn't matter. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What do you mean this exact minutia? It's either a truth or it's not. Guy there went to pit. So, they love him. God! Are you okay? Are you alright? Is there water near you? Can someone in your building give you the Heimlich? Should I call a doctor? Oh yes, oh yes, oh yes. Alright kids, I'm alive. Oh, that was close. There's always one guy in the pre-draft process that this happens to me on. This year it was Ian Thomas. Until preseason started, I had no idea that Ian Thomas was black. (laughs) Because his name? Because of his name? Is that what it was? His name's Ian. (laughs) The only Ians I know are from Scotland. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You shouldn't be surprised when you hire a puppet to be your head coach when the plays are drawn up in crayon. Why are you hiring a defensive coordinator from a team with a bad defense? He's so good, right? I mean, he's just really good. He's really good. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. You got to play Royce Freeman this week. Who are they playing this week? Yeah, baby. Yeah, baby. We'll fall like sands in an hourglass. That was poetic. That was really good. I love that. Mm. You got into your sexy voice. Patrick Mahomes is the truth because this stretches all the way back to his time in college that Patrick Mahomes is simply a better quarterback than Deshaun Watson. It's just been one week for fantasy gamers and football fans to see what I've been seeing for two years. He went over 4,500 yards his final two seasons at Texas Tech. I mean, this guy, right? Baker Mayfield knew he was coming and got the hell out of there. First round draft picks for a reason, kids. You have to trust it. 
Patrick Mahomes is also like 6'3", 230 pounds. He checks all the boxes. I do not understand how the football guys got it wrong with Patrick Mahomes. I thought when he came out, he would be like Jared Goff. Jameis Winston just locked in as the, the number one player in the draft. Not only the number one quarterback, the number one player in the draft. And it wouldn't be close. That it would just, that it would just be understood that the draft is all about Patrick Mahomes at one and then, and then you mock everyone else below that. But that's not how it played out. He checked all the boxes that the quarterback scouts want. He had the size, the athleticism, the arm strength, the, the efficiency and productivity at the college level. There was nothing not to like about Patrick Mahomes coming out of college. I don't understand how he slipped to the number 10 pick. It makes no sense. Boom. Shabbat shalom. I mean, congratulations. I mean, enjoy their championship. You got into your sexy voice. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes does not give a fuck. No buy. No likey. Devin Funches' wheels up here. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yes, of course, Chris Hogan's a buy. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Don't be surprised when Austin Carr has a... What the fuck is that guy's name? Who is that guy in the Saints? The slot receiver in the in the Robert Meacham era? Oh my god. Uh, uh, oh, I know his name. He, he was always next to Colston. I did this exercise the other day and I can't remember. This is going in the outtakes. I'm telling you, I'm looking it up, I'm looking it up, I'm looking it up. When you say it, it's going to be a celebration. Lance Moore. Thank you! We should be fired for being so bad at this. How did we not know? How did it take us two minutes to find Lance Moore's name on the internet? Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Fraud alert. Boom. Shabbat shalom. I want all these gladiators to succeed because they are performing feats of athletic brilliance in a swirl of violence that I would never volunteer to participate in. I would be terrified to step foot on a football field and take a handoff or take a snap. So I have nothing but respect for every quarterback, every running back, every player that plays. That said, if there is a player who I am deep down, quietly hoping fails to prove the hundreds of YouTube commenters wrong, it's Deshaun Watson. Have you considered blowing a shofar for the Jews on Rosh Hashanah?